Your harump is a great example of what I was saying before, though, right? Let's describe what's happening. Oh, yeah, we're recording. They don't know what I know. Uh, welcome back to the This Is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm Brian. Uh, so we had another one of those days... I, I think I think I really frequently finish uh, up the intro by saying, uh, like, that should be our shirt. Just censoring <laughs> podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, technical difficulties. Um, That's our slogan. But once again, we started the podcast situation by struggling with technology for an hour before we finally got a thing to record. Uh, which has ended with <laughs> a situation where I have three monitors. Brian has six monitors on his desktop setup that we usually use. But to make this recording situation work, we both ended up having to do a video call via our iPads, which are now hanging on top of and in front of one of our monitors so that we can use the <laughs> iPad to see each other while we're using a program through a website to record the audio. It's just, for all intents and purposes, this is exactly the same as it should be working. My iPad is dangling in front of my screen in the same exact spot where your video would be, but I just feel like such a tool. Now, for what it's worth, there's certain <laughs> concessions we're making where we're deliberately f trying to use a different, like, uh, we want to use this web program because it's handy for what we do. Um we could probably do this different ways. It's, it's one of those things where because I know production stuff, I guess I'm like, well, here's how you do it to cut all these things out of the way. But it ends up being more difficult in the sense of we need different hardware. That's why we're not super famous already. But what I think we're is funny is like, break down what we're <laughs> needing to do here, right? We're needing to have a video call on which we can record the audio, right? Well, we only have the video call so we can see each other because both of us right. are scatterbrained idiots and we'll wander off and browse the internet. <laughs> if, if all we're using is our voices. You're right. And I don't think it's so right. I can see you either. It's so that I know you can see me. But fundamentally, <laughs> that's the problem what's going we're on. having is these two high powered computers that we use for everything else that we do video, whatever like, can't handle the fact that I want this website to record the audio at the same time that it sends the audio to you so that you can hear it through our video chat. And for different reasons, I think on both ends of us trying to do it today, that's broken. But it's a perfect example of like how far we've come, but how far we still have to go when you talk about computing things like yeah. You can do these crazy. You can play these crazy games. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff, but you, we still can't handle two. Like, think about how many audio streams your brain is dealing with when you just go walk out on the street, right? Just from right. everywhere. It's like there's these things you don't pay attention to, and the other things you do, and then the things you notice incidentally, but don't realize you did until later. Blended in into one sensory experience that your brain then has to re-extract and identify as separate sources too. So it's a really crazy process. And these computers can't handle more than two. And I can't be on a website and see a picture of you at the same time. <laughs> and that took what? 50 years of computer technology to get working right and so you know part of that has to do with the fact that we're doing this remotely and we're doing a thing that is actually still pretty you know like so i don't know what part of it is that and how much of it is actually a reflection of the computer's ability to handle multiple streams of audio 
because I recorded 16 tracks at once locally before, and it's been just fine. It's just the computers being temperamental. Right. They've developed personalities. They just don't like to show them. <laughs> so it comes out in, in these little temper tantrums when they know that it's like Saturday, you're supposed to be relaxing, but you haven't been showing the computer enough of tension because it's not a work right. day. And then you come in and you hang out, but you're not there to play with the computer. You're there to play with your friend at the other end of the other computer. And so your computer gets pissed off and it gets jealous. And then it's like, well, I'm not going to record the audio you want. And then weird things start happening. And then your computer misbehaves in a different way than my computer. It's really childish. Sounds like dealing with children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We used to have a DVD player in college that occasionally would not work. And my roommate would go, oh, it just needs a little Ed love. <laughs> and then he would try exactly what you were doing whilst rubbing the top of the machine. And it would work. It's it. happened a number of enough times that I recall the story to tell it to you now. Oh, it Every just needs a little Ed love. <laughs> yeah. Everyone used to give their Nintendo blowjobs. <laughs> that got everything <laughs> working great. Cartridges, right. Yeah. I put that thing up against my mouth a couple of times. Anyway, so the relevance of the difficulty of whatever, like, it's, it's the problem that we're having is not locally that the computers can't handle it. It's that the somewhere in the mess of it getting packed up and shipped off to you, we're having to make some sort of concession that is breaking the thing that we're trying to do, right? Which is super relevant to the first thing we were going to talk about this week, which was the giant DDoS attack that took down like a third of the internet. I think yesterday as we're yeah, recording this yesterday. Um, I kind of missed it. I woke up to a whole bunch of, and Twitter's down. I'm like, well, no, it isn't. Cause I just learned about this <laughs> on Twitter, but I had, I had a bunch of websites that were behaving strangely. I don't know if that was the result yesterday, but a few of them. Yeah. Spotify was down. Twitter was down. SoundCloud was down, which is where we host this. So the podcast was probably down for a while. Yeah. If people wanted to download it. Um, a lot of websites get, I can't remember if it was Grubhub or GitHub, which are two very <laughs> different things to have down. <laughs> they're both they're both popular websites these days, though. Um, but so explain what happened that caused that. It, it's so it was a cyber attack, right? Well, they don't know done by who. Yeah, it's uh. Well, there are two things that are really interesting about it. First, I'll just kind of explain what it is. What's uh, DDoS? DDoS, distributed denial of service attack. Uh, cool name, cool acronym, whatever. But basically. I was describing this to some people at work yesterday, and I think I came up with a good description. So I was describing it in context of our company's website. And I said, well, what do you think would happen if a million people put our website into their web browser at the same time, like typed in our exactly website's web? the same second. Yeah, if they all right. typed in at the same time and went to load our web page, like a few people would get to see our web page, but mostly like the computer that runs our web page would stop working. It wouldn't be able to handle a million people requesting to view our web page. Um, and so then I, then I went on to explain, uh, what a DDoS attack is, which is essentially, um, a whole bunch of computers requesting something from another computer. Um, so it's think of, uh, a, a programmer like taking over, hacking into a million computers and forcing them all to make requests to your website. Uh, the website can't work. It can't respond. And so the thing that's interesting about it here is <clears throat> with a DDoS attack is, this one in particular was interesting because of the source of it, but yeah, uh, when cool. those million requests are made, you can't tell the difference between the million ones that are coming from a computer that are controlled by a malicious team of programmers or from the like hundred that are coming from actual people trying to visit your website. So there's nothing you can really do. It's a really, really simple thing. It's literally just making requests. It's requesting a computer to, to send something back to you. 
uh, on a scale that it can't handle. And the people running the computer can't do anything about it because these requests are coming in and they, they want to answer the ones that are real people, real customers, real users, uh, but they can't because they can't differentiate them. So it's like really, really simple, but it's also really, really powerful. And that piece of it relates to what we were, you know, what we've talked about with search engines before, which is there's this sort of this weird thing that search engines are doing, which is taking all of the code from the website and indexing it, which is like, oh, but that's our code. You just took all of it. But it has to happen. Like for the web to exist, that stuff just has to be out in the open. It's it's, it's kind of yeah. a problem with like anything intellectual property manifest in the real world, like or the drug stuff we were talking about before, right? Like to put the drug out, you have to reveal the secret formula. Right. Yeah, you can't. And what after that? You can't not make, I mean, there, there are fancy ways to get around this. And I, I certainly am not an expert on dealing with uh, blocking attacks like this, but right. you kind of can't do anything about it. By the nature of having a public website, um, someone can do this. Someone can just make a lot of requests to the point where it breaks your computer. And even if you're a huge company and typically handle millions of users a day, like streaming videos like Netflix, your systems can still go down. Um, this and this attack in particular, I don't think was targeting a website specifically. There was targeting like underlying computers that run the internet. But well, that's same the kind of next same kind interesting of piece of it, which is because it, it, it gives you a sense of the structure of the internet, essentially, which we talked about. I think in our cybersecurity episode, cybersecurity. Like, so the reason so many big sites were down was because of what they targeted, right? Which I don't know how to pronounce it. D- D- Dyn Dyn yeah. DNS Din DNS. Oh yeah, I guess that's for like the, dynamic that DNS, right? It was a DNS service. So explain what DNS is and why uh, that. Why if you can if you can knock out a DNS service, what happens? So DNS is a, <laughs> there's other stuff going on too, but essentially when you put in like www.google.com, a uh, computer doesn't really know what to do with that. Um, it needs to ping a DNS. It, it sends a request to a DNS server and says, hey, someone just typed in google.com. What the hell is this? And then that computer comes back with an IP address. It says, oh, it's here's the actual physical location in computer speak as to where to get the information you're looking looking for. And then you go to Google. And that all happens really quickly in the background. And you don't really notice that your browsers are taking care of this stuff. But if you take down the DNS servers, then basically no one can get to websites anymore unless they know exactly where that computer is. Um, on like the World Wide Web. And so web, uh, like domain names like facebook.com and twitter.com are actually just, just a layer on top of... They're a middleman layer so humans can remember websites. addresses, right? Yeah. I can't remember 192.144.255.374. That's like an address to someone's computer on the internet. And I, as a human, <laughs> am only going to be able to remember like two of those. So different topic of interest but if we change that to words like facebook and twitter and google and github and git grub and whatever um i can remember thousands of them well because the words are ideas and you can keep ideas in your head but just notation just raw notation there's some upper limit where you're just like i don't like this is too this is more than i can understand how to yeah so the ddos distributed denial of service took down uh, DNS servers, so people trying to get people would type in facebook.com and their browser didn't know where to go, so they couldn't get to websites, and it's way more complicated than that, but the basic idea is really simple, and it's it's something that you can do if you know how to access computers and can write a script that say says make a million requests to the server, 
Um, like I've done that by accident before crawling people's websites, uh, doing my own projects. Uh, if you mess up, if you tell it to go too fast, it'll take down small websites. They just won't be able to respond. So, um, right. And so the place where I think it's, it, it gets really, so let's chase the idea of this vulnerability. Yeah. Attacks like this kind of have to happen because now all of those companies that have a manifest interest in this not happening are all going to devote resources to trying to find a solution for this particular problem. Yeah, it's a sickness and it's and, and we got sick and we sort of maybe got better. If you take the complexity of the problem that it's dealing with, it's back to the same thing we were saying with audio, right? This idea that you can't handle two audio streams at once, like that's easy. We listen to all this stuff all day and don't process that it's you know, we process the real world all the time, right? Like so in our effort to take reality and like put it in another place, this these guys were jammed up by you can only handle so many input sources before you lose your mind. Yeah. And we have that problem too. So I, you could argue that they're more advanced at this point because how many millions of input sources can they take before they very they break explicit down? input sources that all input it the exact same way, but <laughs> right. <laughs> uh -huh. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting from a standpoint of like, we think of that stuff as so advanced, but if you just think of everything as a form of technology, computers are still so, so far away from like, yeah, biology. So far, we're so far <laughs> from, from the dynamic, uh, uh, like the, the dynamic ability of your, your brain to adapt to situations and and uh do whatever it needs to to survive you know that that the evolutionary pressure that invented created evolved our thinker our brain our thinker, our, our CPU. <laughs> uh, had seen a lot of shit it saw a lot of ddos attacks in whatever form that occurs in nature right. yeah um, um but uh so 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 relate the way that it happened to the same idea of like what would that be in the animal kingdom the way that this happened. But first explain how it happened. Cause that's, man, there's some interesting, cause it's, I feel like it's the first manifestation of something that people were saying like, this is a security risk. And it's like, well, what do you mean when you say security risk? Well, it and, is. Yeah. It's, it's a, the, uh, the form. So in a lot of people have probably heard the term botnet. So like a lot of viruses that you get on your computer, what their, what their goal actually is, is to get on your computer and give a programmer access to your computer so they can make requests from it. And so um, they can do things like this. There's lots of other things you can do too, but imagine if, if I wrote a script that started a little program on your computer, uh, and then all of a sudden, whenever I want, I could tell that computer to make a request to uh, netflix.com. Now imagine I do that across a million computers, and then uh, someday I can say, okay, have all million of those computers make a request to netflix.com. So that used to be a, that, or that still is a big thing, botnets, people, a lot of computers that have viruses on them, uh, you'll never know it, but your computer is making requests all over the internet, doing stuff. It's downloading things. It's scanning things. It's probably like sharing, uh, pirated videos, like all kinds of stuff that you just don't know it's doing because people have taken control of it. Um, what's interesting with this attack and another one that happened like a week or two ago, uh, is it didn't use people's like common computer it didn't use like your desktop or your laptop uh it's using internet of things 
devices. So this, I don't know specifically what devices fall in here. Um, you'd have to talk through different ones to kind of identify, but <clears throat> it's using things like smart light bulbs and Nest uh, thermostats and smart locks. Uh, all these things that are connected wirelessly to the internet, they all have computers in them. Computers, just a processor. When they'll uh, that have can an run address, software. right? Like that They've mess got, yep. that we said the DNS system, you know, is processing. So you don't have to think about it there they have an address it's a numerical string it's long and not yeah, rememberable it's, just, it's your when you're if you have a smart light bulb for instance in your house one you can control with your phone or if you have a nest thermostat or anything like that that's wireless like i have a friend who has a like a meat tenderizer or something that's that communicates with his phone it's yeah, on his I have wireless a sous -vide cooker <laughs> right that's what it is and so any of those things as soon as that's on the internet where your phone can access it it's on your home wireless that means it's part of the global internet and so if, you're, if your home wireless is unsecure or someone cracks it or gets your password, I can get on there, I can see your devices, I can access them. And these, all these Internet of Things devices, where previously where you had a computer in your home, um, you might have 10 light bulbs and a sous vide and a smart and a bunch of smart watches and a toothbrush that like tracks your brushing habits, like all this weird shit. Uh, those have really shitty security because they're they're tiny, inexpensive products that are developed quickly right. and taken to market. And so this DDoS attack uh, was ex was specifically, I think, originated from things like light bulbs. So light bulbs that are on the internet, hackers took over fifty million light bulbs and made these requests and took down the internet from a fucking light bulb. Right, and that's why. So that's why, like, understanding that the attack occurs because of just simple numbers, right? Like the more devices that exist mm -hmm. that you could maybe make a botnet with, which just means you need a basic computer. Like if you think about, if, if all it has to do is process a request, there is, there's more than enough computing, compute power in a smart light bulb to just ping a website and say, send me this file. Tons. It's not even going to receive the file because the idea is to crash the whole thing, right? right. So it's yeah, tiny it little scare. script can fit on the light bulb all that you need to execute a DDoS attack is numbers. And the more things we connect to the internet, the higher those numbers of things that are accessible are going to go up. And so uh, it's, I just, uh, what I think is funny about the internet of things part of it is like when people talk about IOT security, I feel like what they worry about is like, should I cover my webcam on my computer? And not this idea of this, right? Like my smart lock might right. be running as part of a botnet because I didn't do the right thing <laughs> or just uh, there was a vulnerability or whatever. Like, and so. Well, it, it's funny because people, people will cover their, their webcam. Um, it, it comes back to kind of like a, does it affect me or does not affect me? You're. Who cares if your smart lock is pinging someone's website? Like that just is meaningless to people. Right. Um, but someone watching you while you work through your webcam is creepy, you know? So <laughs> people put post-its up there. Yeah. Or in your case, like a smiley stress ball or something, yeah, right? <laughs> so I'm seeing numbers on uh, some big like research firm like Juniper Research and Gartner and stuff suggesting... Uh, like 20, 30, 40 billion Internet of Things devices on the Internet by 2020. So uh, that's... And I also feel like the things. conversation sometimes goes in the direction of like, oh, then 
people present it as if we can stop the Internet of Things from happening. And that's a useless line of thought. The idea that we could somehow not have an Internet of Things, not connect everything to the Internet, not make everything smarter, is just dumb. Like, that's how it's going to happen, because technology is some sort of external thing pu pushing us in a direction that we're not part of. We're along for the ride. Well, it's just, Even though it's we just... manifest the very thing that we're along for the ride. It's like we're, you know, the wave, we're creating the wave behind us whilst being pushed by the wave. Like, Well, it's just, it's interesting to watch people reading information. They'll be, they'll be like, in a, I have this image of a cartoon in my head of someone like complaining about the pace of technology and the lack of interaction, but they're like reading it from a script they wrote on their smartphone. They're like reading a paper about how how the internet's overwhelming and technology's ruining their life, but they're doing it from their smartphone. And, and there's just, there's no separation of, right. uh, there's, there's no separation of technology and life anymore. Right. Um, it's hard. I actually, I went to the desert last weekend, um, with my fiance for the weekend to just get away for my birthday. And we kind of hastily made plans. We were like, Hey, let's just get out of town for the weekend. We want to be out and kind of out in nature. And we, we picked a good spot. We got there. There was no cell reception. There was no wireless at the place we were staying. And so we got there without having researched anything about the area. And we literally were just stuck in the dark and didn't know where to go. <laughs> we didn't have any food with us. Um, I mean, we were staying on someone's farm. So we just went up to the farmhouse. But we, we went up and like talked to people and, and said, hey, where do we go for dinner? And they were like, well, it's two hours in that direction to get food. Why didn't you bring food, dummy? Um, <laughs> So it was a really interesting experience to be uh, without that stuff. And to the number of times throughout the evening of just relaxing in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere that we uh, wanted to use our technology for something, it was just astonishing. I mean, the number of times in a conversation that you want to look something up or we wanted to play music and we wanted to do this or that or and you just it's crazy. And it's not. And and that impulse, like, I I think about monkeys using sticks, right? Like, once you've realized that you can use a stick to get termites out of this hole, and that will keep you alive as long as you live by that hole and you don't eat so many termites that they stop reproducing, why would you ever go, why, like, we, so, why yeah, that would you ever not gonna do it that another back. way? That monkey will beat you to death with that stick before he gives it back to you. Right. So, like... <laughs> So it's in our genes to use tools, right? And so there's some extent to which maybe it's not healthy to keep using them. And that's for everyone to find out for themselves, I feel like. But the idea that we're going to curtail IoT because, oh, it's scary. Like, that's not going to happen. Either we're just going to get used to everyone's on a webcam always because they're not secure. We're going to figure out security. That's it. <laughs> there's no like <laughs> no it's just the first one it's just yeah. the first one everyone's gonna be That's used to happen <laughs> anyway th i guess the point with that is sort of like this it's this, ex this this expanding idea well so let's talk about the idea of the dns attack right like it's a it's a viral problem because it grows at this certain rate and it simply has to do with numbers like the way a virus works and makes you sick is it gets in your body and then it consumes a particular resource sometimes to the destruction of your body in order to replicate and multiply hmm. till to a point that the viral load is high enough that there are enough of these organisms living in your body that your body goes, but 
and craps out or tries to get them out. Like if you've ever had a stomach virus, that's just that's just your body trying to get this viral load or bacterial load in your gut out. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison looking at viruses and uh, like a DDoS attack. Both kind of serve no purpose. Both are about volume. Both are kind of... Uh, but don't, But here's the thing. This is where it comes back to what I was saying. They do serve a purpose because it makes the system stronger. Like this DDoS attack has to happen because then we go, oh, that's a thing that can happen. And resources are going to go into fixing it. It's the same. Yeah, we can't have Netflix going down ever. No. Ever. People are on their couch. They have to watch (laughs) things. They'd have to talk to one another. But if you think about it in terms of the body, like if you, doctors will even tell you, like if you go too far out of the way to have a child live in a sterile environment, then they, they grow up with a compromised immune system. Like part of a system like this progressing and functioning is that they have to encounter viruses and attacks and they have to adapt to it. And if you don't adapt, you die and evolution. So like without these attacks happening, evolution doesn't happen. Right. So there's always going to be some sort of strange conversation about technology. That's just like, here's how it could be used badly. And I guess it just gets us back to the same message that we always have, which is sort of like for your peace of mind, don't ever consider we could make the technology go away as an option because it it's it's probably going to happen anyway and so we should be having that conversation and it's a dump out of the conversation just to say well we shouldn't have internet of things we're done here like, yeah, what, okay that wasn't productive I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if we could research and do an episode on technologies that we discovered and then purposefully hid and got rid of like directions we were headed where we said, uh-oh, no more of this one. The only one that comes to mind is nuclear weapons. There were uh, there were a lot of things going on with nuclear power that ceased to exist. And I think a lot of it was the fear coming from nuclear weapons being used in, in terrible ways. Right. For instance, there were spaceships that were being researched that used nuclear bombs to propel them. There were nuclear, uh, tiny, localized nuclear reactors being researched for all kinds of vehicles, like cars. Right. Um, I mean, there are other side effects to that. And but. we found out that for where we were, the things, the components of that technology were more destructive than, than the current uh, ability to utilize the, the yeah. power of that technology. So... But the point is, like, if you're going to try to figure out, like we were talking about regulation last week, if you're going to try to figure out how to make laws about this stuff or how to deal with this stuff, don't come at me with, we should just not have the Internet of Things. Because maybe you're right. That's fine. But there's no conversation to have after you say, well, we need to not have it. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I guess the conversation is, how do we make it so that we not have it? And so this is is a perfect segue into the next thing on the list, which is self-serving on my part because I ran into it while I was doing research for a job that i'm hoping to get um but it's cool as shit so we should talk about it uh it's a thing that this company uh, verily is doing which used to be google health before all the uh, alphabet restructuring stuff so it's it's a it's called the debug project or project debug or something like that have, have we talked about CRISPR on the podcast at all 
Uh, we probably mentioned it. I don't know if we've talked. I don't about want to do a whole like... episode on CRISPR. What we should do is put in the show notes a link to the Radio Lab episode about CRISPR because they'll explain it in a much better way than we would, could ramble through for our purposes here. Um. So the debug program is an effort by this company to develop a way to combat uh, like parasites and diseases that are carried by insect vectors, which means like a vector is the delivery mechanism for this, for any disease getting into a person um, or into, uh, into anything, honestly, like the internet of things was the vector for this DDoS attack. The idea is to use CRISPR, which is a super fascinating and recently discovered means of really specifically editing the genetic code of a, of a, of, of a thing. Like a really good text editor for your genes. Right. Um, <laughs> and that probably doesn't mean anything to people either. <laughs> so basically they could use that. And then this other thing called a gene drive, which can, so like they can, the idea is to actually edit the genes of these vectors, mostly like mosquitoes, ticks, things like that. Um, in order to eradicate certain diseases. And they do that by using CRISPR to edit the genes of the insect so that it's re uh, resistant to, like malaria, for example, is actually a parasite that lives inside the mosquito and then passes into humans. And the whole cycle is just back and forth between humans and mosquitoes. Like mosquitoes pick it up from humans that have malaria. It grows in the mosquito. They give it to another human when they bite the human. And what they could do is use CRISPR... And then this other thing called a gene drive, which essentially makes whatever edit goes into the genes via the CRISPR thing into a dominant trait, which means as long as one mosquito has it, if it breeds with another mosquito, it'll, it'll appear in all, for all of the offspring. And so like, for example, they could give it an antibody that won't let the malaria parasite live inside the mosquito. And in like five generations of mosquito, which is pretty quick, we could conceivably completely eradicate malaria. It's a pretty cool application. It's a pretty cool application, but you're literally going in and you're, you're trimming up their genetics in order to make this happen. And you're creating a new form of mosquito, a different genetic code that doesn't get malaria. Well, every time a mosquito breeds, it's creating new genetic code. Right. While a mosquito lives, it's creating new genetic code. We've talked about system. GMOs on here before, right? This is basically... I don't know if we have debate. really. We haven't really gone into this topic very deeply yet. Well, I, th I think we've skipped off the top of GMOs, but I don't know. We might have also completely dodged it because it's very hot. It's a hot one to argue about. No, because we definitely talked about transgenic versus mutagenic crops. Yeah, right? we did. And so the idea that genetic code changes no matter what, like... Uh, there's no way to keep genetic code exactly the same because forces are against that. And so you can either wait or cause a mutation to get the effect that you want, or you can use CRISPR, which I think we did talk about in that context, to just put in exactly what you want, take out exactly what you want. Yeah, there's so many levels that this affects the world, right? You're introducing genetic code, which is the building blocks of every living thing that we've ever encountered in the universe is genetic code and it's not just code that's like in a mosquito we share most of that genetic code it's the same software running us right uh it's dictating like how our bodies grow between us and a, and a 
and so Everything it's a else. very it's 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 like kind it's kind of like saying we discovered how our computers work and we're just we're just going to tweak some things because we think we can make the screen brighter we don't know but then when we do it every other computer forever after that will have that little tweak in it and so i feel like this fits into our under our topic of uncomfortable conversations that we want to have with everyone i don't think it's uncomfortable between me and you because i think we're no we know we know what's up but like (laughs) i I chose the word right on purpose we know it's right um (laughs) but it i I understand why it's a scary conversation because it's the same uh it's scary for me i just accept it and think it's awesome so i'm all for it it, think it's awesome but you also like you also can't just say like you can't just say we shouldn't use CRISPR, right and but this is why and this is why like the Internet of Things, this is why it lines up with the Internet of Things conversation, right? Because what you were saying about nuclear power, like it's easy to say, don't use nuclear power. And people, a lot of people can go, okay, I won't do that. Wasn't going to build a reactor in my backyard anyway. But the fact of CRISPR is, it's really easy to use. You can do it in a biology lab, like in a, in a, in a you can alter DNA and then have a thing with the altered DNA in your kitchen, with like the basic supplies in a high school chemistry lab from my yeah, from what I've heard it's it's a very it's a huge leap forward for genetic engineering and so you gotta then treat it like everything else we end up talking about on this podcast so frequently as a thing that's gonna continue diffusing and we can't not talk about it because everyone's gonna have it like you can do genetics in just in your basement for fun now which means we can't just say, well, don't use CRISPR. Don't do the mosquito thing. It's like, well, I don't want to say this the wrong way, because obviously a lot of research has to go into doing this the right way. And it's a complete, you know, it's it's not something anyone should certainly try in their basement. But just like we were talking about last week with the drugs, it's just chemistry. And on some level, it's not going to be difficult to replicate. And if you're talking about a thing like a mosquito that breeds so quickly, we got to talk about how to do this the right way. Before someone does it the wrong way in their basement and then goes, well, and, and, hey, mosquito, you're free in a swamp in Florida and it's too fucking late. <laughs> like, <laughs> an interesting comparison here is a project that I know you and I did as kids um, together in our AP biology class oh, and something yeah. that probably a lot flies. of people did. <laughs> we, we did genetic engineering in our AP biology class. Our teacher ordered a little vial of frozen fruit flies uh, and we bred them. We f- we put them to sleep. We sorted them by eye color, and then we bred them on purpose to produce specific eye colors. And so we didn't introduce necessarily a unique new gene. It's not like we created purple eyes, but we selected a species. We changed the distribution and frequency of genetic code in a species on Earth as kids in a classroom. So... So all we were doing there was taking a thing that had a really uh, swift breeding cycle. Like fruit flies live for, if you don't put them in the fridge. A couple days or something. Live for a couple days or something like that, right? But in the meantime, they breed and they have a bunch, they lay a bunch of eggs. And there's an eye color trait for red eyes that's either dominant or recessive. I don't remember. It's I think it's recessive. I don't know how dominance and recessives work. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but 
You should be sorry. If you know that, then you can corral populations such that when they reproduce, you'll get certain traits, right? So you're using the fact of dominant and recessive genes to manipulate a population. Yeah, we were... You you can uh, you can mathematically predict what's going to happen based on which fruit flies you breed together. And so we bred populations where we knew they were all going to have red eyes, where we knew they were all going to have blue eyes, where we knew a certain percentage of the population would be blue and red. So we did... We did genetic manipulation right. by teenagers in high school uh, at a at the level that humans have been doing genetic engineering for uh, 10, 20, 30,000 years, ever since we started to interact with other living creatures and uh, breed them purposefully, like with dogs and plants and right. farming. Dogs are not naturally friendly and gentle. There was no pu- there's no pug <laughs> running around in the woods right now right. hunting the pug no English bulldog snuffling truffles. The to pug stay alive, used like. to look like a fucking wolf <laughs> and we made it look like a pug. So when we we've got to have perspective when we talk about genetic engineering, uh, the one of the differences and i'm not really sure the implications of this difference but when you're just breeding animals selectively you're not purposefully making the changes so the idea is it's pretty unlikely you're going to breed wolves over a thousand years and come up with a dragon you're just it's not going to be fire breathing it's not going to have wings um but the fear with genetic engineering is that we can we could build a dragon and I'm using dragon as like a scary thing. Right. Not that the dragon is what's coming out, but um, we could uh, create something that we weren't expecting. And then that would ripple through the population. Not to say that that doesn't happen accidentally also like, and so that's why it's funny that when you jump over to this idea of it's, it's back to that, that like, if everything is a computer, like if life is a computer, not right, and, and, and Jeanette, right, because life is a computer and because genes and, and DNA are just the code that that computer is processing, when you think of it that way, it's like, well, we can manipulate code on computers. And so when you're talking about genetic modification of any sort, whether it's these mosquitoes or ears of corn, you're manipulating that code. The idea is just that you're doing it in a more precise way. So there, there are, I mean, these are great questions, but they're separate from the virtue of the technology that's being explored. Right, which, it, like, CRISPR is super cool. But then they're also sort of separate from the super conversation cool. that I'm talking about, which is that you can't, you, with something like, like, so all of those catastrophic-sounding implications you just listed off, those are the reasons we stopped with nuclear as a way to power our personal vehicles, right? Like mm-hmm. why we stopped research into that kind of stuff. But the fact of CRISPR is if it's easy enough to use, which it will get to be because it's basically using the same tools that we used with those fruit flies, like just, you know, solutions mixed in a certain way in a lab. And now you have a thing with this modified genetic code. Like we can't not, we can't just say, no one will ever use CRISPR. That's the rule. It's, it's it's a great, I mean, it's the progression that we're just seeing with everything. You know, it's the progression with all technologies. It's coming into your home. It's going to be available 
to kids over the internet. And I just searched for that because I was curious. I mean, CRISPR is a very, very current technology. I was reading the Wikipedia article while we were experiencing Only more technical difficulties. It, it wasn't even something that had been discovered conceptually until the late 80s. Um, and only in the last few years, I think, maybe the last five or 10 years, has it really been getting used. And I think there are a couple companies that are monetizing it and they're, it's being used all over the uh, genetics industry, the biotech industry. And so I just searched There's for actually an ongoing CRISPR. fight about who gets to patent it, I believe. Um, of course, there always is. There's a, uh, is this a Kickstarter project? To make no, like a home I can't, I can't read the whole, I can't read the whole article at the moment, but uh, an article I'll post to our Slack channel to check out later. It's, uh, yeah, it's a home CRISPR kit. That's, that looks like someone's working on developing it, um, for 130 bucks. <laughs> home CRISPR. I mean, it just looks like what yeah. you have in a, just looks like a tiny kit of what you'd have in a, in a lab at your bench. You've got a little, little fancy pipette machine. You've got a bunch of it's just a syringe. Bunch is of it, tubes. You got a pipette bunch. Pipette is a very precise measuring and dispensing device that you use in a lab. I'm stoked. But all on you're this. really looking this. at is a series <laughs> of tubes and containers. Like it's all you could do this with Tupperware in your kitchen if you had the right chemicals. You don't need this fancy kit, right? Like it's it's the same problem with the the meth we just were a, talking about last week. You can cook it up in your kitchen if you have the right vials and chemicals. It's just a matter of scale is how I look at this stuff. It's very, very difficult to understand and to study and to work with because we can't touch it with our hands. We're talking, everything's molecular at this level. Everything in technology's reached that, right? I mean, there's right. still really clever things. They're, they're wonderful, amazing technologies to come around, but like the airplane has been invented. The airplane was dudes playing with bikes, built a wing. Now we're talking about uh, manipulating molecules at a level that we can't fathom how small those are. You can't physically touch them. And so when you do it's, chemistry... It's magic. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's it's magic. It's magic conceptually. It's magic perceptually for our bodies perceptually, yeah, or our brains. But um, at, when you get down to the level, chemistry is really just an abstraction where you say, hey, I know when I mix these chemicals that the the chemicals that are in them will interact with each other and be my hands. And so when I put this chemical in a cup with this other chemical, it will interact with it and make a change that a, a known change that I'm expecting. It'll exchange these known molecules is the important part or exchange these. Like it's it, it, we have been at chemistry long enough, like some of these other sciences that like, we know that a hundred percent of the time when you mix this thing with this thing under the right conditions, it'll do X. Yeah, this right? isn't this isn't co cooking is a classic like analogy for chemistry because there is there's a lot of chemistry going on when you cook, but when you throw a steak in a pan with a sauce, you're talking about uh, a lot of dozens of elements and yeah. and an infinite number of different molecules interacting with each other. When you're when you go to a chemistry bench at a in a laboratory and they're producing say a uh, a particular drug for market, there is a list of 200 steps that they take and they mix this chemical with this chemical and this amount and this happens and this particulate will come up. It's so you can look up YouTube videos of like pour this in here and you get a yellow foam or pour this and it turns into a, a blue crystal. You do you do those steps and the chemistry, the molecules become your hands. Of the time, yep. Viagra will pop out the other side. <laughs> 
right? Viagra will fire out the other end. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, so that's why you get to talk about this genetic stuff like code, because CRISPR, the revolutionary thing about CRISPR is it it's letting us manipulate genetic code with that degree of certainty. At least it's getting there. It's very close, right? Like it's still, it doesn't work perfectly, but the curve for it getting to perfect is aggressive. Yeah, it's those layers. We now have a tool that allows us to manipulate DNA uh, to the to molecule. The we can say, take these four things out, replace them with these four things, and it works almost every time. Yeah, we're, we're, we're able to there. make we're getting the edits to that we want to make. We don't know what those edits are going to do. What would having blue sunflowers do? We don't know. We right? really don't know. What, what if you could... If you could change your genetic code such that your skin had chlorophyll cells and produced usable energy, like usable molecules that your body could burn for energy, wow. you'd have green skin and you'd never have to eat as long as you went in the sun. We just came up with a great business opportunity, a great <laughs> movie script, a great reason for me to buy the home CRISPR kit. <laughs> <laughs> a great comedy sketch. I mean, we just hit home. Our, our buddy uh, who listens to the podcast once used to tell me that he wanted to selectively breed a species of dog that had lips, <laughs> like a human. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like the same person used to talk to me about breeding runners until their feet turned into wheels. But here's where I think it gets like, so... What do you do, like, in a world where oh, this stuff exists and it's diffusing the way that we're talking about, like, how do you control, like, the purpose of government, right? So with nuclear, we took control of that through government. We made it illegal and we agreed to have every other country make it illegal or difficult to work on nuclear stuff. And it's still a thing that we argue about in diplomacy all the time, where it's like, Iran's spinning up a nuclear program, they're not supposed to do that. Like... When you have a thing that you can get for $130 right now to play with in your kitchen, what you do you stop that? What do you do? You can't regulate that through standard yeah. mechanisms. So what do you do? I mean, it's super cool that we can do it, but it's like, I, I, I think the answer comes back to something we get to as a moral all the time on here, which is you got to teach people the scientific method and not science, right? Like the only way to figure this out is to understand the proper application of the scientific method to different ways to use CRISPR safely. And so this idea that biology is everything you had to memorize to pass the test, like it's really important that we not teach biology that way. And then we help people understand that science is, science is not all the shit you had to remember so you could get an A in biology class. Science is meant to be the application of a method of inquiry. Yeah, I mean, this is a like I, this is a, <laughs> a situation where the the the, <clears throat> the scientists and the engineers and the people creating this stuff um, are product of a very advanced education system and uh, scientific system and uh, research and analysis. They're inventing this stuff, but then it comes out and goes to market where uh, everyone who doesn't have that background is able to access it. I mean, think about the fact that we can produce a podcast right now just at home with our right. with junk. Um, that that That's a huge... A hundred years ago... Uh, it was magic. It was absolute magic. And now 
uh, I have three friends that are doing podcasts. So, right. Um, yeah, we have some cool stuff around that to announce probably around the 22nd episode. Yeah. 22 coming up. Um, the idea that genetic engineering could be a kit that you order off the internet that shows up at home and then you can alter your own plants. It, it's almost to the point where the science education is, is we went, we went through a period where, uh, people like us, like me, I say this all the time. Science is such an important thing to teach people engineering and math. Um, but you can kind that stuff is logical it builds on itself they're absolute answers you can look them up you can go to youtube and watch a video this is exactly how khan academy works which we talked about it's layers of education you look them up you learn them step by step they build on themselves they're like logical legos for your brain but what what the issue is now is what's the philosophy behind this what right. is what are the bigger grander implications for the universe that's a good like one that's... later good enough place to to get out of here and you can go home and you should go home and you should sit down wherever you are and you should think about whether or not you want to be the kind of person that manipulates <laughs> genetics in your kitchen <laughs> if you've ever had malaria and there's hopes of eliminating it i would i bet oh, you vote for yes absolutely <laughs> it's a very small so, subset of the population hey thanks for hanging out follow us on all the things and all the other stuff and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a killer. We're going to talk. Are we up to episode 22? We're up to episode 22. So next this is, this next is our... episode will be the last episode of our season. Last episode of the season. And we're doing some pretty cool stuff in the second season we're going to tell you about in the next podcast. We better weeks. be. We're going to explore some new. We're going to go to some new depths. Some real deep dark places but down there we're gonna discover the light <laughs> i'm adam i'm brian i'll well, see you guys next week have a great time when you use your smart light bulb to hack your internet yeah right post your dick pics <laughs> ponies aren't for everybody